0: Welcome to the Unbreakable Podcast with Jake and Nikki Hamilton,
1: where we discuss the complexities of marriage and manhood through real, raw, personal stories. Hello and welcome to the Unbreakable Podcast with Jake and Nikki Hamilton. In these first two episodes, we're going to give you a little glimpse into who we are and how we got here.
0: Three kids, an early marriage, lots and lots of traveling, lots of ministry, among a series of other things, you'll get to understand how we got to where we are today and hopefully help how that can help you move forward from where you are. So let's jump right in. Episode one, part one: introduction to Jake and Nikki Hamilton. Yeah, love is the best part, love is the best part. We are going to start by taking you back to 12 years ago, 12 years ago,
1: 2010, 2010, we've, decided. It was we've, 2010. we've
0: gone back and forth. We have now decided it's 2010. Um, we are basically heading to the largest event that I had played in. I was a worship leader for years. We've been a part of church for almost You know, 15 years at that point, something like that, 12 years, something like that. And this was a massive event for us, for Jesus Culture, which we were a part of at the time. It was the Jesus Culture Awakening event. And 17,000 people were going to play that evening. Uh, You were going to fly in that night. We had not connected very much because I had come from one trip right into this trip. I think I was home for about 24 hours. I knew things were not great. But this was not the time or the place. So I'm gonna jump in, play. You're gonna fly in right before we play. And knowing that things were not great, when I got there, I had set up a meeting the next morning or a breakfast with Chris Valentin, who's a leader at Bethel Church. And we had had relationship with for a little bit now, not a ton, me probably more than you at that point. Yeah. And I was like, hey, we're gonna have breakfast with Chris. Cause my brain was, this is not going well. And I don't know what to do. So let's have breakfast with Chris and see what happens.
1: And you're a good fixer.
0: And I am ready to fix. So I'm like, let's make it work. (laughs)
1: Yeah, You're you're good at putting band-aids on things.
0: Band-aids is better than fixer. I just kind of like want to go over it.
1: Band-aids work sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. So we are in the hotel lobby of this huge conference center. And um having breakfast Chris leans over to me and immediately right out the gate he looks at me he says how are you doing kind of points at me how are you doing (laughs) and I lost it immediately which if you know me at all I don't cry not very emotional as a matter of fact my highest mo at all times is two present well (laughs) I you know I especially in a setting I'm down here in a lobby of a hotel I'm 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 trying to you know be acceptable to everyone around me
0: Yeah.
1: especially in that season of my life so I was not intending to cry it came out of absolute nowhere and it was in that moment I realized I guess I'm actually not okay I think up to that point I felt very in control again my mo i control me and i control me well
0: yeah
1: so when your body deceives you oh that's that can be really shaking i yeah. think uh, chris must have seen it on my face and he <laughs> not yeah, very oh, yeah. out, very long after that offers like hey let's go up to my hotel room the four the three of us yeah. and talk in private and yeah. that's what we did
0: Yeah. We spent like the next, what is it? Four or five hours sitting in Chris's hotel room, Mm -hmm. um, where really at length you were telling me the the crazy part is, is you weren't telling me I'm leaving. You were saying I'm done. You're like, Mm -hmm. I'm done. There's no infidelity. There's no addictions. There's no, none of the stuff. It's just you, and I are not in a marriage. This is something else. So you were saying to me, you were like very clear. There's a few things you said. You were like, just treat me like the store, the grocery store clerk. Mm-hmm. Cause at that point, at that point, it like felt like I wasn't even being nice. We were just like roommates coming in and out of each other's lives with kids. And there was no connection. I'm not even being kind.
1: Yeah. I think I felt, um, I mean, in retrospect, everything is so different, right? So to go back to that moment, I didn't know what I was feeling, really. I knew right. I had a storm of emotions going on inside of me. And ultimately, all I, what I thought I wanted was to make everything just smooth. I just want to operate in a world where there's no conflict. I want to operate in a world where... We get along on paper Mm. where you're just polite to me and I'm polite to you back. And we high five as you walk out the door. And that felt like resolve. Obviously, looking back, (laughs) that wouldn't have worked. But in the moment, that's what I want. That's what I wanted. Right. And what I had was crying kids, um, a daughter who was recently diagnosed with severe disability. Yeah. Uh, a new baby who was very fussy and a husband who traveled a lot and came in like a tornado when he was home kind of in a bad mood a little stressed out and a lot stressed out and rightly so (laughs) (laughs) and rightly so i didn't appreciate that at the time but um i didn't have an appreciation or even an understanding that the your motivation behind that at the time,
0: right? But what was your motivation in saying just treat me like the grocery store clerk?
1: I I had a picture in my head. Again, these are all things that are so subconscious, as expectations usually are. I didn't, I would have said, if you would have asked me like, what are your, you know, what were your expectations going into marriage? If you were to ask me seven years in, I would have said, well, I didn't have any expectations. The reality of it was, is I had a ton of expectations and a lot of those expectations were wrapped up in things I had seen on TV. So they were based in no reality of what a marriage actually looks like. And I just wanted peace, quote unquote, I just wanted things to feel smooth. I wanted to feel like I was successful at being a wife and successful at being a mom. And Mm -hmm. by the time I got to Chicago, I didn't feel successful in any of those things. I felt like all of it was falling apart like water through my hands. And my only goal was to somehow fix that and make it stop.
0: Yeah.
1: Which the answer was, let's just pretend. Can we just pretend? (laughs) Yeah. Because I had didn't have, I'd kind of lost any hope that you and I would have a connection. Yeah. I mean, of course you go into marriage expecting that you're going to have this connection and deep intimacy with your spouse. Right. Which when you get, well, probably when you get married at any age, but we got married young. Yeah. I didn't even know how to have intimacy with myself. So knowing how to have intimacy with you, yeah. there was no way. So immediately that begin that reality begins to crumble, I think, for me and probably for you too.
0: Well, do you you said expectations? Would you have been able back so would you didn't know how to communicate them, but would you have been able to name them effectively? back then what those expectations were or were those so buried too?
1: Um I think, no, no, I, I, you know what? I don't think so other than to probably label things that I had, again, seen on TV or something. So it yeah. would have been very like, oh, um you're gonna walk in the door at, at night after you've been, gone from a normal nine to five job you know i didn't know that i had expected you to have a nine to five job which is absolutely ridiculous when i when i met you you didn't (laughs) have a nine to five job yeah but there was this part of me that felt that once we got married then once we had kids life would somehow settle into the nine to five world
0: yeah and that
1: didn't happen right right so i guess there probably was an expectation around the nine to five wow And an expectation that when you came home, you would just be delighted in me. And you would just be happy and attentive and sit next to the couch and want to be my best girlfriend. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's what I wanted. Yeah. What was your expectation? I
0: don't know. That was what I was thinking. As I was like, man, like, I, cause this is, I guess in my world, Chris ends up asking in that while well, we're sitting there, he ends up going, what's your ideal? Or what do you, what are you, what are you envisioning for your family? And a part of my expectation, I guess, was connected to the answer to that question, which was for me, I thought, oh, you're going to be super proud of all the stuff I'm doing for God. So okay. you're just going to be enamored with me because look how hard I'm working and look how I'm providing and look at all these things and you're just going to be ridiculously head over heels for me. And it's just that you're, I'm working so hard and you're just going to be so, and I'm doing it for God. And you're just going to be head over heels and want to be in and go like, whatever, we're just going to do this. And so my, my response to Chris in that was like, oh, we're going to travel together and do this together.
1: As like that's family. as a
0: family, kids and all. Right. I, but I had no, I mean, I'm saying that now, years later, going, I took into no recognition of like how hard it would be to travel with three kids, let alone one of them that has a disability. You know, what I mean, I wasn't. I was thinking the hurrah version, you know, as much as you were thinking Mm -hmm. nine to five, like romanticized television version, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, leave it to beaver. I'm over here going like, Oh, big ministry. We're just going to do this thing together. And we're going to do it for God. I, in reality, I wasn't even thinking about ministry. If I'm being really serious, I was like going the, the line of pattern of thought for me was I love God. I'm doing work for God. My family will, my wife is going to be insanely head over heels for me in La La Land about me, hyper romantic, because I'm doing all this Mm -hmm. and I'm keeping my integrity and I have high morality and I have all these things and she's just going to be head over heels for that. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to go to the point that we're all just going to get to go do it together. Like whatever fantasy land I had that in my head. And it was very much hyper romantic, not taking into any consideration What Nikki was actually feeling, what your expectations were, or even what it took to be connected to our kids and not just do things with our kids.
1: So when, by the time we got to Chicago, we're like, if I hadn't sort of blown the whistle and had a little meltdown there would you have just continued to go along with business as usual? Or that was there a so part weird. of you that was like, oh, this isn't right? No,
0: no. They, see, the, the thing is, is, I can recognize something isn't right. So I'm not like so, even in that moment. But I wasn't, was it
1: not right for you? Or did you know I was upset? Do you know what I'm saying? Were you I, trying to no, no, fix no, 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 me? Or did you feel like this marriage isn't what I wanted it to no, be?
0: No, no, no. I would have said, even then, I would have been like, I'm hurting a person I love and I don't know why. I can't identify. So you the, felt what that I'm you were the doing. reason I was hurting. Oh, absolutely. That wasn't a question. When I came home from uh when I came home from Chicago, or when we came home from Chicago, which we'll talk about more later, it's like, or no, not from Chicago. When I came home from Alaska prior to going to Chicago, prior to going to Chicago, when I came home, I knew I'd been gone for too long. I was living it up with these, like this little boys club that we were traveling with, which are like some of my really good friends, mm-hmm. but I'm recognizing this is like a fraternity. It was almost as if like, I guess this is the way best way to explain it is like, I didn't have high school, then college, university, right. college life, and then married. I didn't have any of that. I didn't get any travel or like world experience in that way. You sow your
1: wild oats?
0: None of it. So it was like, <laughs> the cool part was it felt like the healthiest version of that, but I knew it was hurting you. I just didn't understand why. Yeah. And I, in an, I had enough sense in that moment or in that season to go, the way I'm living is hurting Nikki. I don't understand why. Because I couldn't connect the dots between, and I would have let it go on. Like I would have just kept going, trying to fix each time it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that I think uh, we talked about a ton is the fact that I saw each of our fights, not as a linear story, mm-hmm. but as isolated events. So it wasn't like Jake's traveling and that's an issue comp- as a whole. Right. It's Jake is gone this week. That's a problem for these reasons. Mm-hmm. So it's never been connected to an entire narrative, an entire story, your story bumping into my story, bumping into our present experience. Like Mm -hmm. none of that made sense to me. What made sense is I'm upsetting this person I love who I deeply love and want her to be proud of me and I want her to feel cared for. Mm -hmm. But having zero ability to do that, which I think, I guess now that I'm saying this out loud, like. For most men, I'm recognizing that frustration consistently. Where it's like, I actually really love this person. I want twofold for them to be proud of me and for them to feel cared for by me and provided for. Mm -hmm. But having zero tools to do that. No connection to do that. Mm -hmm. And that feels, so then what you end up with is deep shame. And I think that's where I ended up was like, oh, I'm sitting in front of Chris and I'm ashamed.
1: Hm. Ashamed that you
0: too I hurt the person I love because mm-hmm. I do love her. Cuz it would have been way easy if I was like, "Oh, I actually don't care about you." So, mm-hmm. yeah, that sucks for you. Either get on board or get out. But to go like, "No, I actually really love this person and the way I'm behaving even though it's good on the outside." I mean, we're talking about something that I was in a state an arena for getting celebrated in chicago getting applauded for is hurting this person who i'm supposed to be loving so then it's like deep shame settles in because i'm hurting this person and the deeper shame is that for i i'm trying to give it the best language i can the deeper shame is i don't know why and i don't know how so then there's this deep shame that something is wrong with me because i'm hurting someone i love and I don't even know how I'm doing it. I don't know why I'm doing it. I don't even know where these pieces are coming. So the shame compounds, wow. you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think I can really see that now yeah. as connected to it, you know, and neither of us being able to communicate any of this to one another or being able to communicate any expectations realized or unrealized to one another in a way that was healthy and helpful.
1: Yeah, because I came really to the table the same way. I had grown up thinking, you know, I want to be married. I want to be a mom. I want to be a stay-at-home mom. I want to have, you know, a husband who supports that. And then I got it and I couldn't manage it. You know, I, I actually felt like a horrible mom. I mean, I couldn't get my kids to sleep through the night. They ate too many Cheerios. Um, I'd go out in public and there was always one of them having a meltdown. So it was like everywhere I went, I was feeling like a real failure as a mom.
0: Yeah.
1: And at the same time, knowing that there was no connection between the two of us, we were very much roommates. Yeah. And I thought oh, I was going to be a stellar wife. Cause I wanted to be a wife, you know, and we would have this, you would be my best friend right? and not having that connection. So feeling like I'm a failure as a wife. I don't, I didn't have a career. I mean, my career was this, I was failing at that too. And that left me in a place by the time we arrived in Chicago, which is what we're kind of gearing towards um thinking that the only way to fix it was to just give in to the pretend it's like i okay this is how we can fix this i want you to know that this is but of course being like you know i had to let you know (laughs) you know i'm like i want you to be fully aware that this is a sham and i'm willing to go along with it for the sake of the general public right and just pretend You know, we're going to pretend that we have this great marriage and we're going to pretend that it doesn't, you know, you traveling 300 days a year, (laughs) touring, you know, is fine with me. And you did. And I guess that was my jab at you. No, not I guess. 100% that was my way of kind of, because I knew that would hurt you. Yeah. To stick a sword in your side to go, but you're not gonna get off empty-handed. You will walk away wounded. I want you to know yeah. that I'm pretending and I know I'm pretending.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You were absolutely the the thing about about it is that it was like I I as a man, probably in some ways, and then even as myself, it was like you need the you need the straight talk to go I I, although it was coming from a place of like I'm trying to stab you I want you Mm -hmm. to feel what I'm feeling um in the way that will affect you the deepest and move you Mm -hmm. was what I needed and I need I needed to hear it exactly as you were experiencing it because I didn't understand it fully you need the shadow not just to be exposed but the facade to just be completely dismantled if you're gonna build anything of substance or truth right. it there's like you know um, I think it is I think it's Jordan Peterson he just talks about really there's two things you can do like to get this journey started. It's be honest and own your crap and I think that there was the be honest part was the, I couldn't own my crap because I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. So I, so there's a hard part about like, yeah, own your stuff. And it's like, okay, what am I owning? Cause I didn't know. It wasn't stupidity. It wasn't, it was just blatant immaturity covered over by grandiosity and ego. Like I was successful in an area and I think it's very easy for men. And I fell into this trap was very easy to fall into. I am successful at my job. This is where I get celebrated. I'm not, be, I'm, I'm not being celebrated here. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to go, I'm going to do the job, feel celebrated and go, well, then what am I doing wrong? Because I couldn't own it. Because I was like, I know it's hurting you, but I have to put food on the table and I have to figure this out. And so the real beginning was, I'm going to smash truth, like real, genuine, heartfelt, as hard as it can hit truth. And then... Once that thing is out there and the facade is dismantled and the shadows exposed, I can actually deal with the rubble and decide what we want to rebuild. Mm-hmm. If we're going to rebuild. Right. Cause that was like a real, like, Oh, am I ever going to see Nikki again? Like ever. Like that's a real, con- in that moment when we're having that it's like, is this, that's it. Is this like now beyond repair?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, I'm sitting with Chris on that couch and you're just going for it. And, you know, we've been even trying to prepare for this. We're trying to remember highlights of that entire conversation because it feels like another life. But there, but I do know sitting on that couch, it was like, oh, is there even a way back?
1: And I didn't feel like in that moment there was. In my heart, I knew that I, I knew that I wasn't going to divorce you or leave you because of my own past growing up in a divorced home and I realized what that cost me and I didn't want to do that to my kids and an absent dad who just comes home on the weekends is better than a dad who never comes home and so I'd made it that commitment so it was at that point then how do I which seems so petty it when I, when I hear myself saying it, it fe- really, it yeah. feels like, oh, come on. Like you, oh, it was a little hard. Your husband traveled, but you didn't feel connected. Wow. Gee, what a wuss, you know, but when you are feeling deeply alone and isolated and ashamed of what you thought would be your greatest success, which for me was going to be this, you know, mom, wife thing, and it's crumbling before you, the deep, The lies and the desperation that can go through your head are hard battles to fight. And everything in you says, everything in me says, run, get out of it. Like, don't be in the pain anymore. Marriage is supposed to make you happy. And I'm miserable (laughs) and I'm alone. And really, you know, everybody has those, those deepest fears. And for me, my deepest fear was to be alone. And here I was really feeling alone for a lot of reasons. One, I mean, we haven't even tapped on um, Geneva, you know, having a child with special needs. So I was alone in that too. And um, so as petty as I feel like when I say this, it felt so incredibly real to me and my only way out of that pain my drug in that moment was that oh i can control my emotions and i can control me and i can shut down
0: yeah yeah that is like one of the most devastating blows i know yeah it's like that's what's crazy about about um when you are in a position which is so fair and not not fair is probably not the right word but it's so what you did by disconnecting was honestly the safest thing you could do for yourself. And I think sometimes when you're in marriage, it's not just our story, but other people's stories. It's like sometimes the safest thing to do is actually just to completely disconnect. You're just, and you're dead. I have to pretend you're dead. It's over. It's gone. It cannot be touched. There is no going back.
1: It's a safe thing to do because it was a familiar thing to do. I had a history and an experience for my whole life going, oh, when things get hard, you have this place that you can shut down so that you don't have to feel anymore. And that's how you survive. And that's the gift of survival tools is they really do get you through hard Hard things in life,
0: right?
1: And the double-edged sword of that is they also can also can keep you away from love you're actually supposed to receive, and that's what that was doing for me in that moment. But yeah. it was the tool I had in my tool belt.
0: Yeah, but I think also part of it, I don't know. You could tell me what you're thinking. It part of it is. Um, believing even what you're still saying which is believing that it's petty or that it's weak or that it's like small which it isn't any of those things neither in that moment or still today yeah like even you saying i know it's petty or i know it's small i know it's this or i know it's like we end up trying to frame it to justify this deep pain that was so real for you there's nothing weak or petty or small or insignificant about that Yet, even 12 years later, you feel like you have to say it, Mm -hmm. which is like wild because the whole that was the whole reason that got the silence in the first place. Right. There was no expression of expectations because you had already preconceived that it was weak, it was dumb, it was whatever language people want to put around it, whatever you were putting around it. It's like, no, I'm, it's dumb. So I don't even need to bring it up and. By the time it got to the place we got to it, the only thing else to do in that lonely place was to shut yourself off so that you couldn't be hurt anymore yeah uh,
1: well and I think we we often find ourselves doing that justifying our pain by saying, well somebody else had it worse
0: dude I, and that that has been I've, you've heard me say it a million times before especially with men but men and women both in this place where we end up with the language it's no big deal mm-hmm and the place usually where you say it's no big deal is usually connected to probably some of the biggest deals in your life.
1: Absolutely, because those are places that you haven't given attention to. It, I mean, we talk about if you have a huge trauma in your life, you've probably told a few people and you've you've yeah. given that some attention in your life. It's those small hurts, those small wounds, right. those small things that you go, oh, well, which I, I hear myself. I still do it <laughs> where I'm like, oh God, I mean, that wasn't... It's so not like you were abusing me. It's right. not like there was this horrible thing in my life. Yeah. I want to justify and make it small so that I don't have to deal with it.
0: Right. And not only, and I think one of the, one of the things that Alaner says that I love, he says it so brilliantly. He talks about, we don't want to, that we end up doing it because we don't want to be dramatic. Right. So we don't want to be dramatic. And he goes, no, what's more dramatic than not being dramatic about the thing that hurts you is defining your entire life, your silence, your expectations, and all of your relationships and all of your connection and all of your intimacy by the thing that you're saying is not really a big deal Absolutely. or your is be dramatic to bring up mm-hmm. yet. We'll define our entire lives by it and our connections by it. And that is more dramatic than just going, I'm hurting. I'm drowning. I'm dying. Yeah. Somebody do something. Instead, I think in a lot of ways, um, which Chris said this as well, when we're there is he talked about how, man, you need to thank God for her aunt. Thank God for her friends. Because there's like a reality that we were kind of hemmed. You were hemmed in in connection. I was hemmed in in connection with a group of guys. Like I was doing work for God. Like we were very protected in terms of any extramarital stuff any sort of like addiction stuff, any of that. It was all very contained. We could have easily train wrecked our marriage and had way huge, like some big massive things come up. But there was a hemming in that was, or a a protection built in around us through relationship that gave us the ability to have outlets for communication. Even if we couldn't do it here, there were places where we were having it.
1: Yeah, which is why I tell people you need to have good friends. That was the advice my aunt gave me. Have good friends. Yeah. Because you're right. That did give me a space. I had a few who ended up not being such good friends in the long run. But in the season, I wasn't alone. Yeah. And I did have a place to go that was a female friend. And I wasn't, you know, running into the arms of another guy. Yeah by the grace of god.
0: Yeah. No.
1: But to go back to Chicago um to go back to Chicago we were sitting there and I it's amazing how your body can fall back into <laughs> patterns. Yeah. So easily I I really felt this huge relief like like I just pictured this switch inside of me and it just went off.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was like, saying that. Oh, I felt so, so much. Re- it's like, Oh, I don't have to feel this anymore. Okay. I've said it. I kind of put, I knew I stabbed you pretty deep by yeah. telling you, you know, basically you're dead to me. Yeah. And I felt an immense amount of relief because something emotionally and internally inside of me shut off and I didn't care anymore and I really really didn't and I thought I'm gonna wow I'm gonna be able to go home now and be okay because these emotions (laughs) and the the pain and the loneliness and the isolation I'm feeling has been killing me and I just miraculously was able to turn it off and I feel fantastic now
0: yeah you went back and took a sleep you went to bed
1: we went back to our hotel room, or to yeah. our hotel room after that, and I fell right to sleep.
0: Yeah, you fell asleep. I was the. I mean, the end of that section of the story is simply that Nikki fell asleep. You went in and crashed out because of what you just said. It was like this weight had come off of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm now trying to collect the pieces of that weight. Going, which parts are like? What am I? Which pieces am I supposed to deal with here? Like when you dropped off all this stuff which rightfully needed to be dropped off. And I well, I, and I essentially in came
1: it. in, you know, if, if we're looking at this as a picture, I came in with this huge bag of trash and hurt and pain yeah. and wounds and kind of slumped it on your shoulders yeah. and walked away and went like, Oh, I feel great now. <laughs> oh my God. I feel so fantastic. And you actually hear that. I hear that a lot from people who, you know, when they get out of a relationship with their spouse, it's like, oh, we're getting separated. But I feel fantastic now. Right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh, I feel Uh. so
1: great. What a relief. And I feel the presence of the Lord all over me. And it's like, well, yeah, because you just took all of your crap and shoved it onto somebody else.
0: Right. And everyone has their crap. So it's not like I didn't have mine. I had mine, didn't know what to do with it. And now I had yours. Mm -hmm. And there is a reality for most people that of course you're gonna, if I can walk away, I feel way better. How much easier is it to do Christianity without a cross? You know what I mean? Like, God, that's so much easier. If I just can bypass Good Friday and just go straight to resurrection, I feel good with that. Like, then I'm just happy-go-lucky. It's about my happiness. It makes me feel good. It must be God. And that was like, I don't, and in, in our case, I didn't feel like that's what you were doing. I know that you might've had the, like in your brain, now looking back even, what I really could see is there was so much pain and I don't know how to care for this person. That was what made it so hard because now I'm sitting outside the hotel room because how it ends and you're, you're, in there sleeping, I'm sifting through trash, which is the great, it is a great analogy. I'm like, literally like, is this piece important? Did I break this? This is broken. Did I break this or was it broken before she got here? And I'm like trying to sift through stuff. I'm like, do I I quit ministry? Do I quit God's, like, what do I quit? What do I do? You know, I just had no grit, you know? And I'm sitting in the hallway in the frame of our door in this hotel, on the level where you know all the leaders are coming in and out of. And Chris had to go down to a meeting. He comes back from that meeting. I'm still sitting in the doorway. And he literally looks at me and goes, you're not going home, are you? <laughs> I was like, huh? He goes, he said, it's immaturity. Listen, you are walking towards maturity. Immaturity gives up their marriage or immaturity gives up their calling. What a man does is a man figures out how to do both well. Hmm. and i had no idea how to do that you know and i'm so grateful because i know most men never have a a guy who has the authority of a father come into their life and go like because i had a really good dad so i was it was very easy for me to accept it from chris Mm -hmm. because i was like well my dad actually is awesome He doesn't do everything right. Just like Chris doesn't do everything right. But they can come in in a moment and go, I see you. And I know there's easy ways out of this. Mm -hmm. Very easy ways out. Don't take them. That's a coward's route. If you want to be a man, then you're going to have to own your crap. You made some messes. Now you're going to go back and clean it up. And it does not matter. And I re- I, it doesn't matter how long it takes. And I remember thinking we're eight years into our marriage. Almost at that point, our literal anniversary for our eighth anniversary was going to be the next month, almost exactly a month later. And I was like, I remember in that moment, and I think I have it in my journals written down somewhere, but it was like, I wonder if it, I, I have to commit, I guess is the way that I was looking at it. I have to commit to doing eight years of serving Nikki in a way that she has served our home in order to see what can what can be restored and what can be possible. But if I have to basically pick up this trash for the next eight years, I have to be willing to do this for the sake of Nikki whom I love and these kids that we have. Like this is the job. It felt like it was in that moment with Chris, it was like, this is what's clear. This is what you're going to do and if you can do that for another 8 years you might get 40
1: hmm.
0: but you have to show up and at that point you know we can close out there for this episode but it was like at that point i didn't know what those tools were and it and it, it is a it is a very difficult road to ask someone who is a plumber to learn how to be an electrician overnight. You're relearning a trade. And that's the way I I felt like I had to look at it. I was like, oh, I can work hard. I can be a provider. I'll hustle. I've been hustling since I was 15. I'll be a provider. Um, Now I have to learn how to be a husband and that requires different tools. And I didn't, and to be a good father. I had a handful of those tools because I had a good dad and it was like, but, I didn't have the tools I needed to be like the husband that you needed. And that was what I had to go into learning. I had to go into deep, deep training for (laughs) how to be a husband. And that road was very dark for a little bit, you know?
1: Yeah. And I needed to figure out how to turn that switch back on.
0: And that was not going to happen overnight. So we'll leave it at that.